you got a great offer on your property because the market's hot. So you got to go buy something, but guess what? You're going to overpay because the market's hot. Historically, kind of the solution to that has been, you know, if your sale is large enough, it has been to buy, you know, triple net properties, you know, in maybe a, a slower market or, or a market that's not as highly appreciated, you know, and because it's triple net, you know, it's, it's quote unquote passive investment. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth by investing in Main Street, investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Justin Keeney. And today we're talking about a variety of proven strategies that can be used to defer, reduce, or eliminate capital gains taxes. And these structures are all set up. They're all legal. Like we wouldn't discuss on the show if it wasn't legal, of course, that incentivize certain behaviors that investors can take that the government wants you to do. And they give you the incentive of messing with your capital gains tax a little bit, reducing it, deferring it, or eliminating it entirely, depending on which strategy you use. So if you're in that bucket or you wanna, you're gonna get to that bucket at some point, it's important to know what is out there for you to use. And if you're already there, well, there's a lot of great information in this interview with Justin Keating. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love talking about tax incentives and ways to reduce, defer, or eliminate your capital gains tax bill. If you do enjoy the show, I would appreciate it so much if you're an Apple podcast user. If you take a quick second, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind. Appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And if you're a returning listener, you know this, new listeners, you're about to find out. I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me the warm and fuzzies because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. No matter what podcast app you use, do take a quick second and look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, we're discussing strategies to defer, reduce, or eliminate capital gains taxes using specific real estate investing strategies. And we're getting a lot of detailed information in here. So great conversation. Without any further ado, here we go with Justin Keeney. Justin, thank you for joining us today. Hey, happy to be here, Taylor. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, it's been great talking with you here. We've been here almost a half an hour just chatting. We had to get some of this on tape. <laughs> for our yep. listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do? And we're going to dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Justin Keeney. Uh, I work with Fortitude Investment Group. This is the uh, the unfortunate part of my business. As a financial advisor, we're highly regulated, so I do have to read a, a quick risk disclosure. Uh, but So bear with me here, folks. This is for informational purposes only, does not constitute as individual investment advice, should not be relied upon as tax or legal advice. Please consult the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Uh, investments in real estate may carry risk. Uh, DSTs, which are Delaware statutory trusts, are speculative, illiquid, carry a high degree of risk, including the potential loss of the entire investment. Uh, investors should read the risk section of any private placement memorandum for a full disclosure of risks. Uh, potential cash flows, returns, and appreciation not guaranteed could be lower than anticipated. Uh, any securities, uh, which we are not discussing in detail here, uh, but any securities are offered through Concord Investment Services, member FINRA, SIPC, Fortitude Investment Group, which is uh, you know my business, 
uh, is an independent representative of Concord Investment Services. So with that out of the way, we can get into the interesting stuff. Um, so again, Justin Keeney, I'm a financial advisor. I have my securities licenses, my Series 7, um, my Series 66. We assist real estate investors, uh, real estate operators, real estate owners uh, by providing a number of different capital gains tax deferral strategies. Historically, that has that has been the 1031 exchange. Uh, we can go into kind of specifically what the 1031 exchange is in a, in a few minutes here. Um, but we've done, you know, we've done or assisted on uh, upwards of 2,000 1031 exchanges uh, in the history of, of Fortitude's existence, having placed north of $2 billion in, in investor 1031 exchange capital. A couple of years ago, the Partners of Fortitude did uh, the largest single DST transaction in the history of the industry. It was a $176 million uh, DST 1031 exchange for a family out of New York. You know, not all of the exchanges that we work on on that are are that large. Uh, you know, we do business with folks. You know, doing exchanges anywhere from fifty thousand dollars. You know, all the way up to that hundred and seventy six million dollar transaction. But you know, those those capital gains tax deferral strategies, as I said, the 1031 exchange is a large part of that. And we'll talk about that for for a couple of minutes here. Um, but qualified opportunity zones uh, is also a decent chunk of the business that we do in terms of providing some of those capital gains tax deferral incentives to folks. Um, and I think we'll get into that as well. So I love the idea of deferring or possibly in the right case, eliminating capital gains tax when we can do so, obviously legally and within the bounds of the law. And 1031 exchange, you know, it's it's covered a lot, but I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what it is and what it does, what it offers to people. So can you give us a quick intro and then we'll dive into, you know, the the current state of the market with uh 1031s. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, <laughs> I, I like that you uh that you made the distinction there, right? Deferral is not necessarily elimination. Very important distinction. You also made the distinction that this is within the letter of the law. And, and the 1031 exchange has been around you know, since the 1920s, you're not pulling the wool over anyone's eyes. Um, you know, you're not doing anything illegal here. Um, but what you are doing is, is you're selling a piece of real estate um, that is highly appreciated uh, that you would otherwise otherwise owe capital gains taxes on. You're selling that piece of real estate, and then pursuant to you know some timelines and, and some rules of the transaction itself, you're reinvesting that money into another piece of real estate, and in doing so. Uh, you're able to defer the capital gains taxes that you would otherwise owe. And the reason why this is, is why this is important is because, I mean, in real estate, we talk about cap rates. We talk about, you know, cash on cash returns, you know, return on investment, you know, and, and a 20, 25, 30% capital gains tax bill, you know, is going to have a significant detrimental impact. You know, a, a 5% return on a million dollars is going to be a lot higher than a 5% return on, on 800,000 or $750,000. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, we see a lot of discussion of the 1031 exchange in the news today and you know, folks are are kind of worried about the future of the 1031 exchange from a, a legislative standpoint, if you will. So how has that impacted some of the dynamics of the 1031 exchange like market? I mean, people with people freaking out, you usually see, you know, a run for the door or some excitement about it. So What's happening there? Yeah, that's a great point. And something we, you know, discussed a little bit, you know, prior to hitting the record button. The 1031 exchange market is extremely active right now. Let's let's put it that way. Um, there's a there's a ton of volume in the space. There are a number of reasons for that. Like you said, one of them is 
Um, you know, some of the legislative uncertainty that the Biden administration has introduced, uh, you know, they've they've put it on record that they're not a fan of the 1031 exchange. They, they don't believe it to be sort of equitable and, and fair for all Americans. I you know, personally disagree, but I'm not here with uh, with Mr. Biden to uh, to have that conversation. <laughs> but as a result, you know, what you're seeing is, uh, you know, people are you know, afraid that maybe the 1031 exchange will go away or, or will be materially impacted. Um, you combine that with, you know, the, the residential real estate market right now is uh, in a very interesting place. Um, you know, interest rates are still very low. Um, supply is low. Folks, whether due to COVID or, or, or other reasons, um, there's a ton of demand. So people are, you know, selling houses, whether primary residence or, uh, or rentals, um, you know, they're selling houses at crazy prices, right? 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 over, over asking price. Um, and so there's a ton of demand in the 1031 market as a result, as people, you know, kind of pull their, their sales forward with a fear of the removal, the removal of the exchange, um, as well as just, you know, everybody having highly appreciated assets. Um, so to give you a sense of kind of what that demand looks like relative to historicals, uh, you know, we do a lot of business with qualified intermediaries who are the folks that actually hold the money, they're the ones that actually transact the exchange. Um, one of the biggest ones in the country on any given day, you know, historically holds about, call it three to four billion in escrow. You know, this is money that's, that's you know, currently being exchanged in, you know, the recent months, they're sitting at closer to 10 billion in escrow. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's a 2x or 3x multiple on what your historical 1031 exchange market was, you know, relative to today. So it's, it's frothy is the word that I like to use. Uh, you know. <laughs> that's interesting. So I think one of the things that makes this situation unique is when you're selling a piece of real estate in an appreciated market and you tend to intend to continue investing in real estate, okay, you sell an appreciated market, but you're buying in an appreciated market. So it may or may not come out in the wash, but you got to have some kind of competitive advantage to really take advantage of that. But this conversation about eliminating a 1031 exchange, I think has really compounded that effect and, and is what has people uh, running for the door with the, the 1031, if I may continue with that uh, analogy. And, and, and historically, the, the solution to that, right? Because it is, it's a double-edged sword. You got a great offer on your property because the market's hot. So you got to go buy something, but guess what? You're going to overpay because the market's hot. Historically, kind of the solution to that has been, you know, if your sale is large enough, it has been to buy, you know, triple net properties, you know, in maybe a, a slower market or, or a market that's not as highly appreciated, you know, and because it's triple net, you know, it's, it's quote unquote passive investment. And, you know, you as a landlord don't have management responsibility. That's true to an extent. Um, but what my team at Fortitude does and what we provide to folks um, is something called the Delaware Statutory Trust. Um, the DST is a it's an investment vehicle that's suitable for accredited investors. Uh, those are folks that have a million in net worth, not including your primary residence or meet certain uh, you know income thresholds. But it's been around since 2004, and it's essentially fractional ownership of institutional quality real estate assets. And so you can you know sell in your local market that is highly appreciated. Uh, and do a 1031 exchange, get that tax deferral benefit, and then reinvest into markets you know that hopefully aren't quite as high into some assets that you otherwise might not have the ability to get into, because uh, the minimums on investment you know are as low as fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars. Okay, nice, nice. So, 
I think one of the things that that is important to make a distinction there is so you mentioned triple net, which is a, a great thing to mention and and is a can be a pretty passive way to invest in real estate, but there's still some stuff to do for the the owner of the property. Whereas a DST um, is like a hundred percent passive, like a syndication. You got nothing to do, pick it out and invest. Absolutely, yeah, that's 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 accurate, and it's you make a good point, right? And, and we make that distinction often. A triple net property, you know, is still at the end of the day it does have some management responsibility. Yeah, um, and I and I have I have plenty of clients that own plenty of triple net properties. Um, and I see the management responsibility that goes on, you know, a tenant breaks a lease, um, you have to, you know, backfill the space. Um, I mean, how we saw, you know, with with COVID, you know, plenty of corporate tenants, you know, sent letters to their landlords saying, hey, we're not, we're not paying rent. Yeah. And if you're a, <laughs> you know, you're an individual investor, you own a couple of triple net properties, you know, you're not going to toe to toe with Domino's, you know, or, or LA Fitness, right? These massive corporations. Um so the DST is like, you know, your more traditional syndication that folks are, are probably familiar with, you know, those limited partnerships, um, those LLCs where you are, you know, truly a passive investor, you know, you don't have voting rights, you're really leaning on the sponsor company, um, you know, the syndication company uh, to have that expertise and, and, and to manage the, both the day-to-day operations as well as sort of the overall asset management investment strategy. So... One of the other kind of strategies that we heard a lot about a few years ago, and I think kind of fell by the wayside. I don't want to hear about it all that much anymore. Is the it's lost its uh, its shiny sex appeal status? Right? It has the the qualified opportunity zone or just opportunity zone. And you know, can you kind of clue us in on what those are and and why that might have disappeared? And then also, I'd like to understand, sure. you know, why how that compares with the DST, you know. There's a lot of yeah. questions there. No, 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 absolutely. So, so important to note. So, we do some business in the qualified opportunity zone space. You know, we work with a number of real estate sponsors who who have qualified opportunity zone funds, right? And these these qualified opportunity zone funds provide you know some capital gains, tax deferral incentives, benefits. You know, as as well as when we go back to that that term deferral, right? Because they offer some deferral as well as some elimination. But you know, important to note that the, that the DST is a vehicle that can be used in the 1031 exchange. It is distinct from the 1031 exchange. Um, and so it's, it's probably a better comparison to talk about the 1031 versus the qualified opportunity zone. So QOZ, it was legislation introduced in 2017, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. At the time, it was uh, the shiny object, you know, and everybody was talking about it. Um, and they're still around. Uh, like I said, we do some business in the space, but it's just no longer kind of the new hot topic. So QOZs, Qualified Opportunity Zones, they are specific areas. They are census tracts. So there are somewhere north of 8,700 census tracts in the United States that have been designated as Qualified Opportunity Zones. You know, the the characteristics that made them, that qualified them for, you know, to be Qualified Opportunity Zones um, have to do with, you know, median household income, um, income relative to you know, surrounding areas, things of that nature. The the intention here was to motivate what we call paper gains, uh, private investment in some of these traditionally underserved or maybe impoverished areas. So what they allow you to do uh, is you can realize a capital gain, you can invest that, that capital gain into one of these qualified opportunity zones through one of these qualified opportunity zone funds. And there are a number of tax advantages that are provided to you, the investor. Uh, the first is the deferral. So if you were to invest today, 
you would not have to pay capital gains taxes on that gain, you know, next tax season. Okay. Eventually do have to pay them, but not next tax season. So that's the deferral. The second is the reduction. When you do ultimately pay those capital gains taxes, which occurs in uh, tax year 2026, uh, which means you'd likely pay them in 2027, um, you pay at a 10% reduced rate. So if you had a million in gain, you don't pay it today. You pay it in tax year 2026, and you only pay on 900,000 of that million in gain. You're getting a 10% reduction. Okay. The final piece of the of the QOZ uh, you know, incentive and puzzle is the elimination. So it's easy to remember because it's like Dr. Dre. It's the D, the R, and the. And and you know, Dr. Dre is a real wealthy guy now. I'm sure he's uh, explored the the qualified opportunity zone incentives. But uh, the final piece is the elimination. So if your investment of gain into one of these qualified opportunity zones grows, and you hold that investment for ten years or more, any growth on that investment comes back to you, the investor, totally tax free. So the difference is a couple of differences, a couple of key differences. With the 1031 exchange, you sell a property, you have to reinvest all of the proceeds. The qualified opportunity zone, you sell something, you realize a gain, you only have to reinvest the gain, which is you know less restricted. The second important difference and the comparison I use is, is a 401k and a Roth IRA. So 401k is you investing pre-tax money. It's tax deferred, but you're investing before you pay taxes on it. That's what the 1031 exchange is. You're just deferring it. Eventually, when you liquidate, you know, when you pull the money out of the 401k, when you stop doing the 1031 exchanges, you're going to owe money. You're going to owe taxes. I mean, the QOZ legislation is kind of like a Roth IRA in that while you're not paying taxes today, you're paying taxes in 2026, you're essentially investing post-tax and then any growth on that money comes back to you tax-free, just like a Roth IRA. Interesting. So, if I recall correctly, and I'm very well maybe mistaken about this, the qualified opportunity zone plan was going to like phase out eventually, right? There was like some kind of time limit on it where it's going to go away. Do I remember that correctly or am I completely off base here? So the legislation itself provides some benefits, I think extending out, and, and don't quote me on this, I think extending out into the 2040s. The piece that you hear about as sort of uh, reaching the end of its life cycle, excuse me, um, is that is that reduction in the D, the R, and the E, the reduction piece. Initially, it was a 15% reduction in that capital gain tax owed. It's currently a 10% reduction. And the reason is as the legislation was written, if you were invested for five years prior to 2026, you got that 10% reduction. So January 1st of 2022, it's impossible for you to be invested for five years prior to December 31st, 2026. And so that piece of the legislation goes away. So the, the deferral still stands and the elimination still stands, right? Um, but that that middle piece is essentially going away, you know, January 1st, 2022. Okay. That it's makes a small sense. piece of the legislation, frankly. It's it's one of the smaller benefits. The big the biggest benefits are the, are the deferral uh, and the elimination. Okay. So I do wonder why it hasn't been... Um, more popular, and maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, I think you know, in our investments generally, it's it's good not to let the tax tail wag the dog. So maybe that has something to do with it. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? Um, that's, I mean, that's a great point, and I've said that exact phrase. <laughs> don't let the tax tail <laughs> wag the uh, investment yeah. dog. Yeah. Um, no, I think the biggest piece, and and I, you and I were talking a little bit, kind of before we got on camera. And I asked, you know, acquisition or development. I think what you see a lot of in the syndication space 
um, a lot of folks are in the develop or the acquisition and the value add business. Mm-hmm. Um, the qualified opportunity zone legislation requires a doubling of your basis to receive the benefits. Okay. Ah. So if you were to go out and acquire a piece of property and maybe it's the value, you know, maybe the value add on this multifamily property is that, you know, it was undermanaged. It's 70%, 75% occupied. Um, and it needs a new roof. It needs a little bit of renovation, like whatever it is, you're probably not going to double your acquisition cost, you know, in that value add. Um, you know, a lot of times part of the value add is, is just you as an operator being a better operator than, than the previous owner. But what we see most in the, in the OZ space um, is ground up development for this reason, because that requirement for doubling your basis to receive those benefits lends itself to a more significant undertaking. Um, so it's either, it's either ground up development or we, we've worked with a couple of sponsors that do redevelop. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, kind of conversion of big box retail into something else, um, you know, things of that nature. And so, maybe, you know, maybe that's why kind of it, it, it has faded as folks have realized that, you know, outside of kind of a specific subset of operators or developers, it, it doesn't make sense for them. Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to go, you know, I was thinking like a, a really heavy lift multifamily where you have to double the value of it, you know, and it's it's really severely undermanaged. Or you're going to develop something brand new and have still have headaches, but a completely different type of headache. I would rather have sure. a new development. And the other piece than... of that too is is the ten year hold, right? So if you're gonna you're gonna hold something for ten years, you'd rather hold a brand new development than you know something that you had to rehab and is already twenty five or thirty years old, right? Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So would you say you know? Because I'm glad you made the. Uh, correction or clarification that you know there's the qualified opportunity zones and and then the qualified opportunity zone funds. But if you're going to say compare the funds to Delaware statutory trusts at a like a high level, what are your thoughts about that? Do people tend to tend to go more for DSTs than opportunity zone funds, or what do you think? It's a uh, I think it's a different kind of clientele. So there's there's a couple of pieces to that question. Um, uh, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, part of the legislation actually restricted the 1031 exchange. So now you can only exchange <laughs> real estate. It's, technically, it's real property, but for most folks, that means real estate. Um, you can no longer 1031 exchange art or equipment um, or cattle. That used to be a thing that people exchanged. I did not, not know any of that. <laughs> not making that up. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's a piece of it. Um, with the Delaware Statutory Trust, because these are stabilized or near stabilized assets. Um, they're not intended to be kind of home runs. You're not going to get a DST that's a extreme value add. You're not going to get that, you know, that 70% occupied kind of value add that I talked about. Um, you're not going to see that in a DST. There are rules around it. Um, the intention is is protection of principle, um, current cash flow, uh, and then you know a little bit of appreciation. Um, the the qualified opportunity zones, because as I am familiar with them, are more geared towards development, redevelopment. Um, they're certainly riskier. There are more moving parts there. You know, it's not just acquisition of a stabilized asset. Um, the ten-year hold time is another piece of it. A lot of our DST clients are older, 60s, 70s. You know, built wealth through real estate, just looking for income. Our OZ clients are 40s, 50s. You know, successful professionals. Maybe they're exiting a business. They have capital gains from the exit of a business. Um, they have capital gains from the sale of stock. 
you know, because they have been active trading and last 18 months have been uh, volatile <laughs> to say the least, you know, whether you're in Robinhood or some other sort of brokerage, that's, I think the difference is that DST investors are sort of just steady chugging along, looking for some cash flow. The OZ investors are, are younger folks with a longer time horizon, looking for a little bit more appreciation. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. I'm glad you, you lined that out because a property you have to develop or something like that, you have to hold it for 10 years. It's not going to produce cash flow for at least a few years. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And folks that want cash flow, it's not the right fit for. So absolutely. absolutely. And, and, you know, in the, you can tell from the initial conversation, right. The folks for whom the DSTs is likely a fit are the ones that ask you, um, you know, what's the cash flow and the folks for whom the OZ is likely a fit, they're asking you, you know, what are our total returns, right? Slight differences to a similar question, um, but it gives you some insight into kind of where their head is and what they're, what they consider important. Yeah. Yeah. And what their, their goals are. I mean, that's at the yeah. end of the day, if somebody's asking you about any type of investment, it's they're really the best, what's the best thing for me? Okay. What are your goals is really the yes, right question. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what I'm getting at there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called GroundFloor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Justin, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. You know this. Are you ready? I am psyched. I Great. am very ready. Hit Great. Me. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So you sent me these questions prior to the show and I they are I, disclosed. I had to I had to marinate on that one for a little bit, right? Because <laughs> and, and and the uh other than your education piece is good on your part. I'm sure you've asked that question a couple of times and got, oh my education. Yeah, it's a boring answer, right? Um, but it's the easy answer. Uh so I spent some time thinking about this. And I and I think that it boils down to exposure. Um, and what I mean by that, initially I was going to say marketing, but I wanted to go broader. Um, so best investment that I can make is in my business. That that's what it comes down to. But more specifically, exposure and it's in the world, you're a professional in the world. But if people don't know who you are, don't know about you, uh, you're not going to be able to help anybody. And so 
you know, whether it's marketing through paid marketing or marketing through, you know, building relationships to receive those referrals, you know, I'd, I'd say exposure for my business is probably the best investment I've ever made. Or to break the fourth wall, talking with your new friend, Taylor, on his podcast on a Sunday evening. Yes, <laughs> we're recording this on a Sunday evening. So. I say that too. Absolutely. There you go. And this is an investment of time and this goes back to that exposure. Absolutely. 100%. Well, we had the best investments. Great answer. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So, so I'm going to take a little bit of the easy way out on this one, which is ironic, I think, based on uh, the answer I'm about to give you. Can't come up with anything in particular, uh, but broadly, I'm going to say that uh, I've had bad luck anytime I've tried to pay for a shortcut. And so the, the worst investment I think that I've made or worst investments um, are things where I've attempted to... Uh, by my way, an easier path. Interesting. Put in the hard work, and then I think, that, I think that, that comes back. Yeah, I think that comes back to bite you in the butt. Fair enough. Fair enough. My favorite question here at the end of the show is: What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Uh, you need a short memory, um, and don't take that the wrong way. You know, you shouldn't be making the same mistakes twice. <laughs> but but you're going to fall down a lot, and and whether it's you know it, to some extent, I'm in I'm in the sales business. Um, you know, I'm out networking. I'm I'm looking to to spread the good word and and you know convince people that my services add value for them. And you know, you get told no a lot. You get hung up on a lot uh, if you're doing any cold calling. And so you can't let that impact you know the next phone call that that you make or the next meeting that you take. Learn from your mistakes, but then move on and and have a short memory. Nice. I think that is really good advice, especially for somebody. In a sales business or somewhere where you're having to connect with others, I mean, sometimes people are going to be jerks and you have to forget, yeah. you know, forget, <laughs> remember that not everybody's a jerk. So you can you know, move on to the next one. So, Justin, thank you for joining us today and talking to us about capital gains, tax deferral, and elimination and reduction strategies. Uh, you know, DRE, Dre. Absolutely. Got them out of order though, but either way. <laughs> hey, Taylor, I appreciate you having me on. Had a, had a great time. Not a bad way to spend a, a Sunday evening. There you go. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, they want to find your, your website or, or have a conversation with you about capital gains, tax, uh, deferral, reduction, and elimination strategies, where can they track you down? Uh, so uh, you can find us at fortitudeinvestments.com. You can also find us at 1031custom.com. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show and it helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast algorithm ecosystem. I'm always real with you guys. That gives me the warm and fuzzies because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them in the tribe. Hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.